Welcome <laughs> to the Renaissance. My mm-hmm. name is Cameron Riley. With me as always, Papa Bear Ray Harris. Hello, everyone. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> baby. Let's talk about you and, and me. me. Let's talk about all the good times and the bad times <laughs> in my vajayjay. Um, <clears throat> oh, I've got a good story to tell you about that, but off air. All right. Remind me when we finish right. to tell you about a story off air. Sex story off air. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I, should I tell you on air? I'm going to let you decide, <laughs> Mr. Live uh, on the Edge. Yeah. Uh, I know it's not about a virgin because you've made that clear. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. For Just for the people who listen to this show. <laughs> Bonus material. So let's say that, uh, you know, for Chrissy's 40th birthday recently, I took her away for a sexy weekend. Good for you. A little villa up in the mountains, and um, and a lot of sex was had, and um, a lot of photos and videos were taken um, yeah. during that process. Mm-hmm. And then we got back, and we got back into the week, and, you know, drudgery of, of, of normal week, and so I right. sent her, I, I texted her a photo um, of one of our sexy goings on just to like cheer her up during the day, give her yeah. a bit of a thrill, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's in her text messages. Uh, a week, two weeks goes by. And um, for some reason, she's showing Fox a text message of something <laughs> on her phone right. that had arrived. And then she gives him her phone. Right. Uh, and he's scrolling through the history of the text. And he finds it. He goes, "What's this?" And shows me, or shows her. I can't remember which one. What's this? And we go, "Oh, nothing." Flick away, flick away. You know, that was not. That was nothing. And he says, "It looked like Daddy was licking your vagina." And we were like, "No, what? No, why would he do that? No, 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 it wasn't that at all." This boy is going to learn so much, so much before so his that time. happened. Yeah. <laughs> See, son, when a man loves a woman, or more importantly, doesn't want her to leave him, he licks occasionally, <laughs> and that's what Daddy was doing. <laughs> and now you know the secret. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Anywho, I think I pulled something. Cosimo, uh-huh. yeah, Cosimo, yes. Cosimo de Medici. Yeah, um, mentioned last time that uh, he got married to uh, little Conti, Contesina, <laughs> right? And uh, knocked her up. Then he fucked off, and he went to Rome for I, three years. Three years. He was in Rome. I have to ask a question. From what I can gather, Contesina, and I don't mean this the way it sounds, but she wasn't a looker. She was probably a very good wife, but he probably had to think about someone else when he was in the room with her in the bedroom or whatever. And I don't mean to be disparaging, but, you know, reality is reality. He probably, it wasn't the greatest time he's ever had. He wasn't wasn't a ladies' man. He wasn't a whore. He didn't have a ton of whores and banging them all over the place from what we could tell from the notes. But I don't think she was the prettiest woman in Florence. And I'm going to leave that there. Yeah, like it's an arranged marriage between the Medici, who are the new Dads. rich, and yeah. the Bardi, who used to be rich but the are now poor, poor but right. still still have a, you know, they're, they're, they're patricians of uh, Florence, they're big deals. Right. Um, now, I've got one posthumous portrait of her where, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you – what can you tell by a Renaissance era portrait? She looks sure. all right. Yeah. She doesn't look as fat as the sources her? make out. Right? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Goes without saying. Um, <laughs> I will look anything that stands still long enough, right? Uh, oh, I know. I know. This tongue. This, you know. It has a brain of its own. Tramps like us, <laughs> baby, we were born to lick. Uh, tongues like us, 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, anyway. She, yeah, I mean, according to the sources, she was fat, very fat. Right. She doesn't look fat in this portrait. She looks, right. She's got a little bit, little bit plump, but not as yeah. plump as she's made out to be in the sources. Anyway, it's an arranged marriage. They, they seem to get along okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. They seem to be affectionate towards each other, which I think was pretty much all you could hope for in, in an arranged marriage. Right. Like, you, you kind of like, you don't hate each other, you like each other. They're yeah. not Tiberius and, and, and <laughs> Julia the slut whore. Right. They just hate each other's very presence. They're like, yeah, yeah, right. she's all right, yeah. 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 I can talk to he you. doesn't write very often. Right. He doesn't write very often to her when he's away. She doesn't write very often him. When she does, it's like, hey, um, guy Business. came up to fix the drapes the other day <laughs> and um, I need some money to... You know, put you know, yeah. recoat the toilet with gold and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very matter of fact. Right. It's, it's, they're, they're affectionate, but there's no, there's, there's no sure. great passion, right. as, as far as we can tell. But he got the passion that he was looking for in Roma. When yeah. he was there, one of his agents brought him a young slave girl that he had purchased in Venice. Mm. According to the uh, records, she was judged to be a sound virgin, right. free from disease, Good. and aged about 21. Okay. Yeah. Nice to Which say. is exactly how you pitched yourself back to me in 2014 <laughs> That's true. when we started podcasting. And I found out that of those three things, none of them were actually true. Not a virgin, not even an no, ass virgin, no, no. not free from disease, and definitely... No. Not no, 21. No. I'm damaged good, my not friend. Not even... Damaged goods. Not even 21 inches. No. Um, <laughs> hey. Now, she, yeah. was, she was employed to be Cosimo's household servant. Right. And he called her Madalena. Oh, now, that's how yeah. common was it? How common was it for people to have slaves in Italy in this start, in this era, right? Yeah, I found that interesting. I thought it would be a lot more with a bunch, because this is Florence we're talking about. We're talking about a bunch of rich families, but supposedly there was only about a hundred slaves uh, in the houses of the leading families in Florence, and I'm sure other major cities had roughly the same um, amount. But I'm, I'm imagining Florence has got, what, 40,000, 50,000, whatever, after the plague comes along and kills 40% of them or whatever. So a hundred... Out of 40,000 is not a lot, but I wonder if it's status because you can afford it, you do or whatever, but it, it wasn't uncommon for the leading families is probably the best way to put it. Well, I, I think that 100 might be either a typo in the book that you're looking at oh. or underselling it slightly. Really? I think, uh, yeah, other sources that are more... Uh, dedicated to the topic, say there are probably about a thousand slaves. Really, in Florence by the end of the 14th century. Yeah, um, okay. Still not not huge numbers, uh, but a lot more than a hundred. Right now, slavery was actually pretty common amongst wealthy Italians after the Black Death because. Servants had died off. Yeah, during the during the plague, and and the, you know, they can't be expected to wash their own clothes, so they have to get people from somewhere. There's just not enough servants to go around, right. and so they they use slavery. Around 1360, Petrarch mm. wrote, "Whereas huge shipments of grain used to arrive by ship annually in this city, now they arrive laden with slaves." sold by their wretched families to alleviate their hunger. Oh. An unusually large and countless crowd of slaves of both sexes has afflicted this city with deformed Scythian faces, just like when a muddy current destroys the brilliance of a clear one. Damn. So, a uh, little bit racist there, Petrarch. Fucking uh, <laughs> tone well, it down. Hashtag me too. Hashtag I'm a white guy, but even then, hashtag uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> hashtag Scythian lives matter. I mean, come on, man. It's... But but it seems like there was also racism when it comes to selecting their slaves because they preferred Caucasian or Slavonic over the Turkish or the Tartar ones. And I and I, again, this is racism to me. Supposedly, the the Caucasians or the the um, 
the Slavonic ones uh, worked harder, assimilated better, and was, was considered less barbaric. But again, to me, that sounds like racism. Because if you put someone in a situation and you force them to do it, or if you treat them well, you know, they're going to adjust to it. So again, I, I think, and this is not a big surprise, there's racism also involved in their slave selection. So by saying, no, we prefer white slaves to black slaves, you're saying that's racism. Yeah, it's reverse no, reverse r- racism. So so preferring black slaves would not be racism? It would be then? a different kind of racism. I see what you're saying, but it's like, you know, it's reverse I mean, but you can't just say someone's white and so assume that they work harder, assimilate better and are are less barbaric because they're white. That's just racism of a different color. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, yeah, so these these slaves tended to come from sort of the Levant, the Black Sea, a lot of sort of uh, uh, Caucasians, Slavic slaves, right. Middle Eastern, uh, mostly uh, non-Christian, but most some Christian mm, Orthodox. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't a think bit, about bit murky that. here. The legality of Christians. I didn't think about that um, to take to take fellow Christians and turn them into slaves. Tacky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, listen. I did. I, I did a bit of research on mm-hmm. this um, because I, I was fascinated uh, about this, and I reached out to one of my consultants. So one of my, my Florence consultant for the show is listener Lisa Tucci, who has mm-hmm. been very helpful in uh, particularly in matters of pronunciation. She put me on to Suzanne Bono, who uh, is uh, in Rome. She's a, like an expert tour guide in Rome. She pointed me in the direction of a few bits and pieces here too, which I much appreciated. But then I went down a rabbit hole talking about the Meta Sudan's fountain in the Colosseum that uh, – uh, Mussolini pulled down with her. But anyway, uh, that's another long story. But anyway, so (laughs) slavery. Now, most of the slaves at this juncture were white, young, and female. Yeah. Again, which is how Ray positioned himself when he answered the job ad for a podcast co-host. Unlike slavery in the US, though, in Italy, in the Renaissance, they were usually treated well, ate dinner with the family, and were looked upon as minor members of the family. Right. They were kind of, if people have watched Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of like their relationship with their servants, but even more so, like the servants ate in their own with quarters the and would never right. have been allowed to eat with the family. In fact, I think when uh, the driver, the Irish guy who yeah. was a gripper, in uh, Rome, um, right. he started fucking one of the daughters, yeah. and so consequently was Moved out. playing a role in the family. Like everyone was like, "Oh dear, what <laughs> is this?" Um, but but that said, like the 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 main family in Downton Abbey, yeah, they were reasonably um, caring and generous towards their servants to varying degrees. Um, they were humane. And, and, and right. so in Italy anyway, there was even more so. They were back, they were like, listen, we would normally have a servant and the servant would be treated this way. Can't get a good servant, so we, we bought you as a slave. Yes, you're a slave, but we're going right. to treat you well. So, uh, but, it, but another thing that was common, though, was slave girl pregnancy. So listen, we're going <laughs> to treat you well... But you're going to have to fuck the master of the house. I mean, that right. just comes with the territory. Uh, if you don't want to fuck him, well, sorry. That's your rape. job's cook, right. cook clean, repair the clothes, <laughs> right. and put out, spread your legs. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's yeah. basically your job. Yeah. And so a lot of a lot of these slave girls ended up pregnant. And if it was the master of the house that impregnated them, that was fine. Something I keep right. telling Chrissy all the time about our cleaning <laughs> ladies. Look, if the master of the house okay. does it, if the president does it, then it must be legal. Uh, oh but God. if it wasn't him, if it was, if it was a son, or worse still, 
one of the male slaves or servants, um, then that that didn't end well for anybody. Then, yeah. then the pregnant slave girl had to call Barry and Stan, and they were like, "Virgin <laughs> birth, virgin just... birth." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the now, virgin I... birth package from Barry and Stan. <laughs> I, I, now, I want to stick with the idea that these people were treated well because yeah, you're right. She is going to lay down for him. She is going to get pregnant. They have a son whose name is Carlo, and he is brought up with Cosimo's two legitimate children, Piero and Giovanni in Florence. And again, this was not unusual. Now, don't get me wrong. We know that she's a minor member, and it's not like you have to go out and blab it and say anything. Everybody understands the situation. And Carlo is going to be told from a very early age, and his mother as well, look, he will not be part of the business. He is going to be pushed towards the priesthood. We're going to treat him well, but he is not you know, a legitimate member of the family. He will not be part of the business, but we are going to take care of him just like we're going to take care of you. Yeah, give him, give him a job, but uh, never let him take part of the family business. Yeah, exactly. That was Carlo. Yeah. That was Carlo in The exactly. Godfather. That's right. He wasn't allowed to play. Yeah. Traditionally. Um, yeah, I want to get back to talking about slavery, yeah. though, before we get on to the, the Madalena Carlo thing. Now, Let's get back to this Christian thing. Now, the church did nothing to abolish slavery, but they did pass laws to ensure slaves were well treated and to prohibit the enslaving of Christians at at, at some point. Ah. But but it only appointed to Western Christians, uh, Catholics. Right. Um, The Orthodox... The Byzantines were still considered fair game because they weren't really Christians, right? right? <laughs> not really. Yeah. Well, no. If you're not a Catholic, you're not a real Christian. You're a heretic Christian. Gotcha. Uh, so, you know, th- that, that's your own problem. That's right. your own problem. Yeah. Right. Now, most slaves in this period were being sold uh, into Islamic countries where they were in high demand. They loved. They loved a good Christian slave, but. <laughs> Thousands were brought back to Italy for the domestic market. Right. Now, there's not a lot actually recorded about slavery in the Middle Ages in mm. Italy, and historians have really worked hard to try and piece together what happened from accounting records and things like that. They have to drill down into taxation statements like the Castato right. that we talked about um, in the last episode. Uh, to see how many slaves people had on the books and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, people like uh, Petrarch Mm -hmm. may have felt that the slaves were overwhelming the the clean, clear water of the bloodstream. (laughs) But but slave labour wasn't a big part of the uh, Italian economy like it was in ancient Rome or in in America. Like we know the American economy was built on slavery. It was built on stealing the land of the Native Americans and the Mexicans and getting slaves to work it. Check. While the white people sat there and just uh, smoked cigars and... Drank mint juleps. Raped and raped slave women. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's true. America was built on slavery. The economy of America... America's... Uh, economic superiority was built on stolen land and stolen slaves. Um, but it wasn't, that, wasn't the case in, in Florence. They weren't a huge component of the economy. Mm. Never very high. Um, I've got some stats here. The proportion of slaves in Palermo in Sicily was estimated to have been 12% of the population, which was considered very high. Yeah. In Genoa, it was never more than 2 to 5% of the population. Mm-hmm. And as I said, in Florence, by the end of the 14th century, it's estimated there are about 1,000 slaves, probably in the low hundreds in other Tuscan cities. Right. Um, but in Florence, by 1427... That number had fallen to 400. Mm. And most households didn't have more than one slave. And obviously, it's just the elite households, too, that had any of them. But after the fall of the Byzantine Empire in 1204, traders basically were going around the Byzantine Empire, stripping it of everything 
anything that wasn't chained down they would would take to sell and trade and and humans were part of that. So most of the slaves sold in Italy were Russians, Tatars, uh, Vlachs, Turkish, Balkans, from the Caucasus, Mm -hmm. Central Asian. And in a lot of cases, these girls mostly are willingly sold into slavery by their family. They're not being... You know, abducted. taken off the streets, right. hit over the head, abducted. Yeah, like the Africans were. They're being sold into slavery by their parents who have got 12 kids and, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, they have no by. money. They need to... Right. F- yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, I tried to drill into manumission of these slaves because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you think about it, if, if you're a wealthy, if you're a, if you're a Medici, Traditionally, you would have had servants. There are no servants, so you've got a slave. Do you buy the slave and then just go, listen, you can have your freedom, but, um, you know, we'll just pay you to keep working here. Right. Um, or not. And and apparently it's not. Um, they didn't, a lot of them didn't get their freedom. Right. Some did, but the great majority of slaves in Italy in this period didn't get manumission. Sometimes slave owners would write manumission of the slaves into their will, ah, but then right. the slaves would kill the owner in order okay. to get to their freedom. The right. Yeah. So in places like Genoa, testamentary manumission was outlawed. Which is... Leaving it in your will. Gotcha. Your, tes- okay. your testament. Oh, last gotcha. will and testament. Gotcha. Testamentary manumission. So they had to outlaw that because too many people were getting killed Damn. by their slaves. They go, hey, it's in his will. You gotta let me go. They go, yeah, <laughs> but right. we're putting you in jail for his murder. Fuck. <laughs> Shit. Should have said that. I didn't think through. it through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was Caesar- Is that wrong? Because <laughs> if, if you told me that that was wrong, I would never have done it in the first place. So really, it's on you. Right. For not being very clear that murdering my owner was wrong. <laughs> well, well, fourteen hundred years ago, Caesar said, and you know, in um, in Gaul, look, I get you want your freedom, but I got to do what I got to do, and and nothing's changed. Yeah. Now, getting back to the church's position on slavery, before the fifteenth century, the papacy didn't really mind if Catholics enslaved Christian Orthodox, Ooh. but. Beginning in 1435, the church actually prohibited the enslavement of all Christians. Okay. Despite whatever denomination they were part of. They changed their mind and went, yeah, okay. So, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe that's bad. <laughs> Is that bad? Okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's this is after, right. um, after what's his face? Cosimo's Cosimo. got Madalena. Gotcha. I don't, I don't know if she was a Christian. I didn't see any evidence of that, but this is later on, 1435. Yeah. Now, so unlike in America, where slavery was based on your race, mm-hmm. in Europe it was based on your religion. Ooh. You could be enslaved if you were of the wrong religion or, or you were a pagan right. or you are a Muslim. Fair game. It wasn't based on race. It was based on religion. Uh. And, of course, a lot of slaves in America were Christians after they were enslaved, but they didn't get their freedom because they right. were Christians. It was like, yeah, good. All right, and go pray to God that I don't whoop your ass and rape your daughter tonight twice. All right, going to rape your wife. But I'm probably going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Um, now, Pope Pope Nicky the Fifth in 1452, <laughs> mm-hmm. Nicky V issued a papal bull called Dumb Diversus. He did another one a couple of years later called Romanus Pontifex, which permitted the perpetual servitude of Muslims and pagans, uh, particularly from Africa. Then Pope Pauli III banned slavery completely in 1537. Wow. That's impressive. But. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, but. (laughs) But. People pretty much ignored him. Because they were like, well, hold on, we've got dumb diversus here and papal infallibility. Oh, uh, so, right. pff, 
dogma. He said, well, papal, inv- papal infallibility didn't really become a thing until 1870, and they're like, yeah, but it is going to be a thing, and we already right. know that. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, you can't go changing your mind. One day you say, you know, Jesus yeah. is just, you know, human. Next you say he's God. You say... Yeah. You know, we, we the, the mass can only be preached in Latin, and then you're doing it in English. It's just too much. God hates the fags. Right. God loves the fags. Like, you <laughs> pick a fucking position and stick to it, Catholics. Oh, my God. Raping children is fine. Raping <laughs> children not. is bad. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. yeah. Like, pick a story. We're just going to go with slavery's okay. Because it benefits me. Church always had a... Yeah. Church always had a fairly shaky line between just and unjust slavery. Sure. But the point being that slavery was okay for 1,500 years in Christianity, and the big Christian justification for it comes from one of Paul's epistles, Mm. the epistle to Philemon. Um, I don't know. Nobody knows more about Paul's epistle to Philemon than you, Ray. Sure. You just remind people what the epistle to Philemon is all about. I don't even think Philemon is a word. Have a, have a drink. I think you're making it up. I think you're trying to trick me as you are wont to do. I don't know about Paul. I don't know about his epistle. And I don't know about Philemon. So have at it. <laughs> and I don't want it. No, I'm just joking. Weren't you a Catholic for a while there? Raised I, a Baptist? Not, I was raised. Uh, shouldn't you know your Bible? Southern Baptist, where whites were the best. Then we went to regular Baptist, which was boring. Then I went to Catholicism, and I just thought a lot of the stuff was cool. And then I learned the truth that it was all bullshit. And now I'm sitting here talking to you. They said, you get to write nuns if you're a Catholic. You're like, sign me up. Then you got in there and said, oh, no, you got to be a priest. And he's like, oh, what? Fuck. Forget it. Yeah, I've got a brother-in-law who's a priest. Can yeah. he? Can he? Can I write can nuns I with his ID yeah, badge? If I put on a, <laughs> his clothes? Yeah, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him. Paul's epistle to Philemon, uh, written uh, ostensibly when he's in prison in Rome uh, before he's executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's writing to Philemon, who's uh, can't remember where Philemon is. Maybe Corinth or one of these places, Galatia. Um, one of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, has been in prison mm. with Paul, and he's a fugitive slave. He like ran away Ooh. from Philemon right to go there. to Paul. He heard Paul was in prison. And he went, oh, I'm going to go and help Paul. So he runs away from <laughs> Philemon, who had been a dick to him. Right. Goes and serves Paul in prison. Because apparently the Romans were like, yeah, sure, you can have a slave. What the hell? Yeah, yeah you're in prison, but, you know, we're not barbarians. Of course you can have a slave. You're <laughs> a Roman Germans. citizen after all. Yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And then Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and he writes him a letter. Uh, Philemon, this is. Or he, gives, he gives Onesimus right. a letter to take back to Philemon. And the letter, which we have a copy of for some strange reason, <laughs> basically n- never says, listen, dick, let him go free because slavery is wrong, okay? <laughs> it just says, I'm sending him back to you. Be nicer to him. Be a better master. And so, yeah, so Christians uh, have have used this as a justification since uh, then as, well, slavery must be okay because Paul didn't right? say slavery is wrong. Even though Onesimus was a Christian slave, he is saying to Philemon, look, he's a Christian, so be nice to him. Right? Yeah. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb um, here. Let's just say that that letter was, oh, I don't know. Made up, forged for that very reason to use it as justification. That's not something the church would do, or the early church fathers, or whoever put the Bible together would do, would they? Fake a letter. Fake a letter. <laughs> Has it been well, done before? Um, okay. Yeah. So here's the thing: as uh, people who watch my uh, documentary will know when it comes out, um, mm-hmm. There are 13 letters of Paul in the Bible. Uh, Most scholars today believe that six of them are probably legitimate. Um, Seven of them are not. Seven of them 
uh, written by people who were maybe part of Paul's communities. And they're basically right. saying, look, if Paul was still around, he would have said something like this, we think. But right. um, that's a you know that's a that's a relatively modern uh, perspective. I mean, challenges to the authenticity of these letters really only started to happen in Germany in the nineteenth century. They started uh. to go, yeah, some of these letters sound very different to the other letters. It doesn't sound like these letters were all written by the same guy. Quite honestly, uh, the language is different. The terminology is different. Um, but Philemon is one that is considered to be. Uh, actually written by ah. Paul. Now, there are some scholars who don't think Paul actually wrote anything. Um, there's oh a scholar God. who recently died, actually, who believes that all of the authentic Pauline letters were written 100 years after Paul had died by a guy called Marcion, who mm. headed up the Marcionite sect of Christianity that were very, very pro-Paul, whereas Paul was probably considered to be Simon the magician, Simon Magus, uh, the great heretic, much hated by the original church. He, this, this author claims wow. that Paul and Simon were the same person um, because uh, Paul in Latin means small and Simon is referred to in one of the early church documents as Simon Atomos. Atomos is Greek for small. So mm. Simon Magus, uh, I think it's in Josephus actually, he refers to him as Simon Atomus, uh, Atomus. So Simon the magician had the nickname the small. Paul, who was originally called Saul, gets the nickname <laughs> Paul, which also means small. So they've got the same nickname and they're both heretics who are hated by the original Christians, Peter and James. And then and Marcion came right. along and wrote these letters to kind, kind of try and bolster Paul's reputation. Anyway, the letter, getting back to the letter to Philemon. Right. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Onesimus, the slave, wrote it himself <laughs> and went back to Philemon. He goes, whoa, 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 Be before nice. you kill me, I got something you should read. It's from Paul. Rip. And he's like, himself. oh, shit, really? Can I, can I fact check this? Can I go, Paul? No, he's dead. Paul's no, dead. Yeah, yeah, the Romans sorry. killed him sorry. last week. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. But if he, if he had read it, surely he would. If he had written it, Onesimus, surely he would have written, by the way, let him go, you yeah. evil motherfucker. He's in slavery. He's bad, gold, okay? Let him go. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, exactly. and your wife. And give or your him a daughter. Woman. Yeah, give him, a- yeah, give him a woman. <laughs> give him your daughter and some gold and a horse. So, yeah, probably Onesimus didn't write it. Um, right. <clears throat> But anyway, uh, and look, there's a whole theory that the entire New Testament was written by Romans to convince Jews and, and, and other Romans to uh, just accept the letter of the law because it basically says, uh. Uh, yeah, listen, this whole uh, Jesus thing is cool and everything, but um, you still have to you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Right. Obey the law, right? And pay us, right. Anyway, back to slavery. Yeah. Um, yeah. Church was kind of fine with it from most of this period. They're like, yeah, slavery, slavery. Just don't enslave Catholics. Then it's for everyone else's fair game. Right. I wonder if it helped them that only a small percentage, uh, i.e. the rich, had slaves. Maybe it made it more socially acceptable or just the fact that it was on a, on a much smaller scale, probably something they could just look over. But that's just a guess on my part. I'm sure it didn't hurt. I'm sure. It, I'm sure it did. I'm sure the cardinals and uh, popes had slaves too at various points, sex right. slaves if nothing else. Now, uh, Madalena, um, she, when 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 Cosi was in Rome, uh, his wife wasn't with him, so Madalena shared his bed uh, every night. He was there, knocked her up, had a kid, Carlo. As soon as Carlo mm-hmm. was born, Cosmo said, "Remember what you did, Carlo. You betrayed Sonny to Barzini." <laughs> And uh, come on, I wouldn't. Would I kill my daughter's husband? Um, no, uh, yes. no. Your punishment is you're not going to be involved in the family business. Uh, you're going out to Vegas, and uh, and she was like, "What the hell are you going on about?" He goes, "Ah, oh, don't worry, it's a Godfather bit." Anyway, <laughs> uh, when he moves back to Florence, he takes Madalena and Carlo with him. 
And uh, oh. they have one big happy oh. family. They move into the Palazzo Medici. Uh, Carlo is right. raised with his other boys. Uh, but he's not going to end up in the family business. He's going to end up in the church, which is normally what happened to the illegitimate right. children. Yeah. His mother, Maddie, seems to have uh, stayed working with the family until at least as late as 1457. So he goes back yeah. in sort of, I don't know, 14, uh, 20, 40, after Papa Joe dies. Uh, he goes back in no, 1428. Before that, 1422, Papa Joe retires, right? Around about then. So he goes right. back and uh, she's with him for another mm, 37 years. Um, mm. She's pretty good. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, she was what, 21? So she's going to be, you know, 21. 50s, whatever. No, 20, hold on, 20, yeah. 30, 20, 30. She was 21, 37. She, she's old, very old. Um, yeah. Keeps her yeah. around. Not I don't know fuckable. if he's still tapping that I ass. I don't know. Right. Uh, no. I don't know. I've seen some pretty hot <laughs> 57-year-olds. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Anywho, the point you're making uh, is that Contesina pretty much has to put up with it. Because it's her husband, he's the man of the house, he's the man. And, you know, he does, she does keep busy, because like you, I think you might have said this earlier, she does have a second son, Giovanni, in 1421, so so Contesina's hands are pretty busy between running the estates, and she's got two boys. She might be disgruntled, but she's also busy. Yeah, well, maybe she doesn't care. Maybe she's relieved. Like, oh, thank God. Like, he's not going to want to fuck me every night. Now he's got somebody <laughs> else he can do. Right. I'm, somebody else. I'm busy, you man. You take him. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure she wouldn't be the first <laughs> wife in the world to go, listen, really, if you have somewhere else to stick it, thank God, because I'm exhausted. Right. Please go stick it somewhere else. Um <clears throat> Not that I'm speaking from personal experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... And you get now, the but I want to point out that yeah. Cosimo, Cosimo doesn't have a reputation of being a philanderer. He's not banging... Every, he's not deflowering young maidens like Augustus. Right. He... Right. You know, he, he doesn't have... A, he, he's got a reputation for being a good family man, uh, humanist education, good banker, good businessman... Little Cunty uh, played a big role in his life, in his artistic tastes. Um, but, uh, yeah, he does keep Madalena on the side because, you know, why not? <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. You know, I think you're right. I think I think Cosimo was born um, and bred to be a businessman, but he does go to that school, so he is a humanist. His father does teach him to read people and to be cautious. And like you said a second ago, his wife is going to influence him in other ways, maybe to actually you know, have concerns for the wider world. So between all these influences, uh, Cosimo is going to be a pretty open, well-rounded, progressive person, and his family and Florence is going to benefit from that because he can back all of that up with tons of cash. Yeah, so Papa Joe retires in 1420, hands mm. over running the bank to his sons. Cosmo, 31 at the time, takes the lead. Wow. Now, when the Spinney family went bankrupt, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, it's Cosmo's contacts in Rome from his time there as the manager of the Rome branch who convinced Pope mm -hmm. Marty to give the Medici another crack at the papal banking business. And this turns wow. the Medici Bank into the biggest financial operation in Florence. And when Papa Joe died mm -hmm. some eight years later, Cosi takes over as head of the family. And he's also the leader of the political faction in Florence. And... By now, it's getting pretty serious, although they still don't have any real political power. Things are getting hot. Now they're the richest family in Florence, richest family in Tuscany, papal bankers, a lot of you know influence with the church, um, right. a lot of money. They're, they're seen as a bigger threat to the ruling oligarchy than ever before. So they got a lot of people trying to take them down. Whether or not uh, Cosimo 
wants to have political power or get involved in politics, he doesn't really have a choice now. Yeah. The five fa- the five families are coming after him. <laughs> He's got to... You know, Don Vito Corleone tried to live in harmony with right. the five families, avoid a war, because yeah, a war business. was bad for business. Exactly. Right? But uh, by yeah. the time Michael comes around... You know, he can't avoid it. He has to be. He has to get on the front foot. It's the same with Cosimo, right? He has to. He has to be on the front foot because uh, they're coming after the Medici. According to Machiavelli, those who rejoiced at Giovanni's death now regretted it, perceiving what manner of man Cosimo was. They're like, oh, exactly. well, we thought yeah. we thought Don Corleone was bad. Now we got Michael. He's he's a serious motherfucker. By the way, yeah. uh, the yeah. Godfather was based on the Medici. I've got to point that out. When <laughs> uh, when uh, Mario wrote the Godfather, um, and mm-hmm. and Francis Ford Coppola got involved. Francis Ford Coppola, um, particularly a big fan of uh, the Medici. And, um, you know, Mario Puzzo had sort of based it slightly on Italian history and the mob and these sorts of things. But the book was obviously just a throwaway kind of pulpy novel, even though it became a bestseller. When Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola got it, he uh, reworked the material uh, in, in a way sort of based on the Medici. So um, there you go. The, the, the parallels here aren't... Um, in in my imagination, these these were built into the Godfather by Francis Ford Coppola. Nice, yeah, and like you were saying a minute ago, I mean, pressure is coming uh, for the Medici. Uh, people realize that they're a threat. Cosimo can't do everything; he's not an island unto himself. Uh, Lorenzo, his younger brother, is in charge of the everyday business affairs. Cosimo is making the bigger decisions and kind of stepping back and looking at the big picture. And their cousin Avarado de Medici is handling the political aspects. So they have the beginnings of their team, and they know they have to do something. They have to take their financial power, their social status, and somehow manifest it into political power because that is the only way this family is going to survive. Yeah. In 1430, mm-hmm. Cosimo decided that the Medici should have a palazzo all their own, not just this inherited Bardi palazzo. So he chooses a site on the Via Larga, now known as the Via Cavour. It's the main road leading north out of the city and hired very close family friend Brunelleschi to design something nice. Ooh. Something nice. Build something nice for the for the Medici, which Does of course Brunelleschi do anything he small. Did sorry, yeah, sorry. No, 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 doesn't do anything <laughs> small. Now, yes, Bruno doesn't do anything small. He designs something over the top, ambitious and luxurious. But when Cosy sees the plans, he gets a little bit worried. Yeah, he's like, yeah, this might be this might be too sumptuous. This might be too ambitious. It certainly doesn't align with what the people have come to expect from the Medici's, and um, so he hesitates. He's got the plans. He's got the cash. He can hire workers, but he sends some of the details of the plans out to test the people's reactions. And he goes, you know, at the end of the day, I've heard back from some people, but at the end of the day, I think I'm going to go with something a little more modest, something that aligns with Medici taste. And I just have to ask you, Cam, was that his plan the entire time? Because that sounds like something Giovanni would have done. Yeah, well, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know, really. I mean, he is trying to step it up a notch. As I said before, he has to step it up a notch. Right. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the Medici brand, the Medici political power, I think he has to notch it up. Um, but uh, maybe he just changed his mind, I think. Maybe he, he, he right. thought, now's the time we're going to build something grand and opulent. And then he looked at it and he thought about it and he was like, well, maybe, maybe that's too over the top. Maybe somewhere yeah. in between. Now, I can't imagine Brunelleschi was very happy about his plans getting thrown <laughs> in the bin. Uh, Do you know who I am? Knowing his temperament. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, instead, the up-and-coming young architect, Michelozzo, was chosen, designed something 
with a much simpler facade and um, that's still standing in Florence. We walked past it when we were there. Um, yeah. The Palazzo de' Medici still stands. And you can see it's it, it almost looks like a prison to me or a fortress. Right, um, exactly. Which is, you know... It had things done to it later on uh, to make it more fortressy over the next hundred years, but yeah, it was a very austere facade from the get go. But on the inside, different kettle of fish. On the inside, away from the view of the public, oh, it's <laughs> right. all bells and whistles. He had um, Donatello <laughs> produce his bronze statue of David that we talked about with Alex Kynaston a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we talked about on that episode, David was the emblem of the city, represented triumph over tyranny. And also it's kind of the Cosimo's sort of declaration that the Medici are on the side of the little people, the Popolo Minuto still right. against the oligarchs of the city. So it had multiple layers. And then, of course, as I talked about, it's... it's uh, terms of the design it was uh, very erotic very homoerotic which had a whole bunch of other implications over time as well but the medici saw themselves or at least wanted people to think they saw themselves as the upholders of the republic and the supporters of the little people now i wanted to talk a little yeah. bit about donatello ray do you do you uh, have any biographical notes on donatello that you can share with us well, tell you what, you tell the story of Donatello, and then I'll tell you the crazy story that I came across almost by accident of the bronze head of Contessina. Oh, yeah, you have okay, that? I did hear that, but yeah, you can tell that one. Okay. I, I, I read it, I'm not sure it's in my notes, but you can tell that. So Donatello okay. was a little bit older than Cosimo. He's about 44 at this stage when he's building the statue. Um, and, and the two were very, very close. Um, in fact, Donatello lived at the Palazzo Medici for a very long time, uh, had dinner with the family, the whole deal. Now, his father had been a woolcomber who had taken part in the Chompy Revolt. Do you know what a woolcomber mm. does, Ray? Do they comb the the rough bits or something out of the wool? Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. They, they comb the shit out of the wool, basically. <laughs> so you have wool... Right. A wool comber combs wool using combs. This might be surprising to you. <laughs> Basically, they make the wool nice and straight. Gotcha. So you can make shit out of it. But to do that, you've got to get the shit out of it first because wool, when it comes off a sheep, is full of shit and dirt and, and, and it's all, you know, right. clumpy. So they have to make it straight. Now, the combs weighed about two to four kilograms each. Uh, so one kilograms, 2.4 pounds. So four to eight pounds, nine pounds. Wow. The teeth were made of highly tempered steel, which was set into a horn at an angle of about 80 degrees to the handle. And that they'd have about, I don't know, three to nine teeth on the comb, depending on the type of wool that you would want to comb. It starts off, obviously, very clumpy. You have a few teeth, and then it gets finer and finer and more and more teeth with smaller gaps. The teeth of each row get progressively longer, from about 10 centimetres to 30 centimetres. The width of the comb is about 18 centimetres. The handle was about 30 centimetres in length, has two steel-lined holes, one at the side and one at the end. Now, what you would do is you would warm the steel of the prongs of the comb on a charcoal stove with a stone slab above it that just had gaps in the stone slab for the teeth of the combs. So you would like slide the comb through this uh, stone slab into the charcoal stove until they got hot and then they'd right. been able to manipulate the wool. The wool had been oiled, so it would slide through the wool, not damage the fibres, and they, they can be straightened. Apparently, wool can get be straightened when it heats up. It's a bit like hair, I guess. Chrissy used to have one oh, of these hair okay. straightener doodads. She went through a period of a year where she would straighten her hair every fucking day. I'd be like, why do you white? spend an hour right. doing that? 
<laughs> Pretend she wasn't a ginge. Got hair dyed blonde and uh, and straightened. Like why? because uh, I like right. it. Like it's crazy. Anyway, um, yeah. So that so same sort of thing with wool. Now the wool. So the the heated comb was first put on a jenny, which is a wooden ledge attached to a post which held the comb with the teeth pointing upwards. The wool was then lashed on by the comb, and when it was about half full, the comb was transferred to a metal bar, a pad, which was attached to a post, which had metal spikes corresponding with the holes in the handle so you could sort of pull the comb down in a horizontal position, keep it very straight and even. Then the comber took a second comb, which has also been warmed up in the pot, with both hands and swung it kind of like a chopping action into the fringes of the wool, each time getting deeper and deeper into the stationary comb. This is known as jigging. Now, when the wool had been sufficiently jigged, the comber could draw the wool off in a continuous rope called a sliver. And all the mm-hmm. fibers left at the front of the comb called the milkings, and those at the back called the backings were then added to the next lot of jigging, and so oh, on and so forth. And you repeated this process until you had straightened all of the wool. So that's what people oh, used to do to get straight wool. Geez. That's what Donatello's dad did as a living. And he said to his son, Hey, son, <laughs> you want to be a wool comber? I can get you in. <laughs> And he looked at that and went, mm, I think I'd rather make statues of gay men. Thanks, Dad, all the same, but uh, yeah. I'm yeah. going to go and make make twink statues. <laughs> now, Donatello it's be wasn't, a, yeah. wasn't a humanist uh, intellectual. He wasn't into all of that, really. Um, he lived simply, didn't read books, didn't own much except the tools of his trade but may have been responsible for convincing Cosimo to start collecting ancient statues, which he then restored for him. So again, like with the books, Cosimo would have people scouring Italy looking for broken down old statues uh, and and he'd have them brought back to Florence. Donatello would fix them up. Now, around about this time, Cosimo commissioned Donatello to make a sculpture of little Conti's head. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, this story is all over the place, so I'm not sure how much of it's real or how much of it's legend or whatever. So, again, I think you're right. I think Cosimo did have genuine uh, affection. um, for. I think he had a solid relationship with his wife. So he gets Donatello to produce a head, uh, a a bronze bust of her head. Now, Instead of just doing a straight-out copy, you know, he's an artist. So what he's going to do is he's going to make a bust of Contesina as portrayed by a St. Cecilia. And here's St. Cecilia's story. Sorry. So she was supposedly born in the 2nd century CE. And we either don't know if she's a work of fiction or the details of her life is a work of affection. She was supposedly beheaded with a sword because of her Christian faith. And the story goes like this. She wanted to be all about God. God, 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 God. She never wanted to get married. She just wanted to spend all of her time worshiping God, praying to God. But her parents forced her to get married. So she gets married. And when it comes to that night, her wedding night, when she has to have sex, she says to her new husband, I can't have sex with you. In fact, if you try to have sex with me, God will punish you. But if you don't, then God would love you. And her husband said, "Uh, well, you keep talking about gods and you keep talking about angels. I would like to see one of these angels. So she says, if you go to the third milestone on the Via Appia and you are baptized by Pope Urban I there, then you will see the angel. So this man, instead of just holding his wife down and raping her like any other man, actually does this. He arranges everything. He gets baptized by the Pope at the third milestone, and he supposedly sees the uh, the angel standing beside her. Some other stuff goes on in her life, and she um, is basically has her head cut off with three blows to a sword, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, because um, someone wants her to renounce her faith. I don't know the details, but the point is, supposedly none of this is real, or a lot of it's not real, because her name is not in the book 
of martyrs in the early church. And Cotacina, being a good Christian, knows the story. And so when the bust is presented to her, she says, I don't want it because it's about a fake saint. And so Donatella keeps the bust that he made, as far as I could tell, for his entire life because she refused it and he didn't know what to do with it. So he kept it around in his workshop or wherever he was for the rest of his life. Wow. But Cosimo tried Hmm. to give her a gift. It backfired spectacularly. So, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that that gift was actually his version of Tony Soprano giving Carmela a necklace because she's caught him fucking some. Uh, right, <laughs> look, some I'm sorry. Whore. Yeah, <laughs> One of, what do the mobsters call their side whores? Uh, I don't know. While you're thinking about that, I have to ask real quick. Why did why did you say the word "hua" like that specifically? Because <laughs> I because I watch uh, too much Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that's how Frank says it. Danny DeVito. <laughs> hua. I, I thought you. I thought Your you mother were was a hua. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching that show the first time. He said that I'm like. Did he just drag that word out to be like three syllables? What the hell? I've never heard of hua before. I just hua. thought it was so funny a, when I first heard that. A guma. That's what they call guma. their uh, mistresses oh there. God. A guma. Yeah, so instead instead of him giving her a necklace, he's like, here, have this uh, sculpture. I don't want your sculpture. <laughs> Go Saint. fuck your guma hua. hua. But don't have another child. Yeah. Thank you. So that statue of David that Donatello, though, did broke ground in a whole bunch of ways, but we talked about that with Alex, so no need to go over it all again. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, during this period, Cosimo continues to meet up with other humanists at his old school, the Santa Maria degli Angeli, which, by the way, Ray, is in Florence, not in Rome. (laughs) Now, people from all sorts of professions would come together and talk about humanism there. Monks, civil servants... Everyone that had an interest in humanism, they came from all parts of the, well, obviously the upper ranks of society in right. Florence. And Cosi would find people there and commission them to do things for him, like go wow. hunt down old manuscripts, translate ah. these old manuscripts into uh, Latin, uh, 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 go go find old sculptures that Donatello can restore for me. Right. The Renaissance starts spreading though in these meetings from the realm of fine arts you know kind of started to sneak in with petrarch and 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 boccaccio and ghiberti and and brunelleschi and donatello but now it's starting to make its way into the realm of ideas as well as these manuscripts start turning up more and more of them somebody's you know in cosimo is paying people to go find them you know, before right. that, people would pick him up in, um, what did I say, Cordoba and, mm-hmm. and uh, Seville. Seville and places right. like this, bring him back, but they're just sitting there. They're in, they're in Greek uh, or, or maybe even uh, Arabic languages. People are like, well, we can't read that. Right. What's the good? Well, look, there's this old book. Yeah, but, you know. It's so Greek what? to me. S- somebody has to take the time. Right. And have the knowledge to translate it. And as we saw in an earlier episode, I think it was Boccaccio that that sponsored the first That's right. Greek speaker to come and teach at the university the, there, Christotomus yep. or somebody. So um, <clears throat> the, the, having people in Florence who can actually work with these documents is new, but they still need to be paid to do that. Somebody right. has to care enough to, to commission them to do it. That person is Cosimo de Medici. Money bags, yeah. Well, we're up at an hour. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that um, not everybody, of course, liked all of this progressive stuff going Ooh, on. Yeah. And it caused a backlash. Yes. Ronaldo degli Albizzi, the leader of the old uh, Albizzi oligarchy family and the sort of the leader mm. of all of the old oligarchy families now, the leader of their faction, 
He wasn't very happy about uh, all <laughs> no. of these new ideas. I mean, this whole idea that... Well, he thought these old these new ideas, uh, these humanist ideas were subversive and irreligious, and old regimes never like new ideas. That's why the right. capitalists have been trying to stop the communists for the last hundred years, because it's, it's a threat. New ideas mm-hmm. are always a threat to the old regimes, because new ways of thinking make people stop and think, oh, do we have to put up with this shit? Maybe we don't. So they have to go, yeah. evil, <laughs> evil, stop it. Communists, ooh, under your bed. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't read about it. Don't um, think, yeah. Now, and, and the old families were still pissed about how much tax they had to pay under the new Castado system. They were blaming it on Papa Joe, and they decided to make right. it as unpopular as possible. They did this by extending the Castato to all of the Tuscan towns under Florentine rule, not Ooh. just Florence itself, where right. it had originally been. Remember, it was introduced to pay for the war against Luca, which right. uh, ended up as a war against Milan, which lasted for <laughs> five years. And No, it wasn't Luca. It was the war against Milan. War against Luca's coming up. Right. War against Milan. Now, um, these towns had normally been left to settle their own tax affairs as long as they yeah. kept sending the right amount of money to Florence. Florence decreed that from now on all towns would be subjected to the Castato and the people of these towns were pissed. There was a rebellion oh. in Volteros, a town in the mountains of Tuscany that had to be put down by a militia. And these same old oligarchy families that had been responsible for the war in Milan that had cost so much that the Castato had to be introduced in the, in the first place now decide... Mm-hmm that they're going to have another war. The way to pay for that old <laughs> war is not the Castado, it's to have another war. Oh, You've got to double down on what? your wars. If that, <laughs> There's a city of Lucca. It's about right? 40 miles west of Florence. It's the birthplace, by the way, of yeah. Puccini. Um, it was independent but had sided with Milan during that earlier war. Oh, now right. the oligarchs decide that that was treachery. The Lucans or Lucians, Lucians should have sided with Florence. They sided with Milan. They're the bad guys. Right. We are going to go and take their shit. <laughs> this tax stuff. Yeah. So this is the way the, the oligarchs sold it. They're like, ladies and gentlemen, do you like being taxed? No. no. Well, we, we are with you. We support you. How about this for a plan? You know, we're paying... All these taxes, none of us like it. Let's go fight Luca, take their shit, and then we won't have to pay taxes. Somebody yelled out, but aren't we paying taxes in the first place because you didn't know how to win a war? They took that guy away and executed him. And everyone else said, all right, yeah, yeah, good idea, good plan. Yeah. It's, been, it's been, been 10 years since we had a war. We've got to get it out of our system. It's gonna Let's work go have another time. war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll now, see. Cosimo, yeah. Cosimo didn't, didn't like this idea. He goes, no, yeah. war, bad, business, good. <laughs> but he doesn't have the power at this stage to do anything about it, and he's got to be careful. Right. He can't be seen to be going against the oligarchy too hard. Mm. So right. war is declared by the Signoria. He's been outmaneuvered. He has to get on board. He's asked to join the Committee of Ten, the Deichi, the War Council. Right. And he can't refuse because if he turns it down, he's gonna, they're going to use it against him. Yes. They're putting him on it deliberately so he can be held partially responsible for what happens. Ah, this is smart, right? right? Yeah. Like if you've got a guy that's a potential critic, yeah. you put them on the committee of the thing that he's against. So he's going to get <laughs> – he can't you know, distance himself from it if it all goes pear-shaped. Right. And so that – in 1430 is where we're going to end. The Florentine army, commanded by Rinaldo degli Abici, marches oh to Lucca. And uh, that, my friends, is uh, yeah. where we will wrap it up. Suffice nice to one. say, mm-hmm. it's not going not gonna to go very well. <laughs> it's Italian. Spoiler alert. Help. Right. Yeah. All right, that's it. Talk to you. Talk to you soon, folks. Be good.